You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings, uh, I'm Jim Finley. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our time here together, turning for guidance to the Christian mystic Guigo II that he offers us in his classic work, A Ladder of Monks. In the previous introductory session with Kirsten and then the following session, I was sharing with you that I think what's particularly helpful for us here in our reflections uh, in the series of podcasts is that Guigo gives very practical experiential guidance in the practice of Alexio Divina, um, discursive reflective meditation and prayer as an actual experience, something, a guidelines on how do we actually engage in these, these, these modes of seeking to deepen our experience of God's presence in our life. We saw how he presents this, these teachings in the metaphorical image of a ladder to heaven, reaching from earth to heaven. So each rung of the ladder is, is a great state of consciousness. And by stabilizing ourselves in the first state of consciousness, Lexio, how that evolves in a great state into a, into a meditatio, a kind of a grace dialogue with God, <coughs> which evolves in this prayer which is this, uh, comes from the heart center, uh, this desire uh, for deeper union with God. In this session, then, we're going to turn to the fourth rung of the ladder, uh, which, is, which is contemplation. And contemplation is significant here and, and distinct from the previous sessions in that by contemplation, Guigo means infused contemplation or the point at which the, 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 this deepening experiential uh, awareness of God's presence in our life be, starts to become mystical as, in this infused uh, contemplative state. And here, a, a clarification I think is helpful is that in the first three rungs of the ladder, there, there are contemplative dimensions that are always present. By contemplation meaning uh, what's always present in the Lexio is we, might, we instinctively pause in taking in the beauty of a word heard, God speaking personally to us, and we pause to contemplate that. That is to kind of quietly ponder it or to sit in the presence of that. And so too with meditation. In this, uh, this loving exchange with God, in this reflective consciousness, there's a natural kind of contemplative pausing to, to let it soak in, to rest in it, and so too with prayer. Likewise, uh, in each of these three states, there, there are mystical awarenesses, or are awarenesses of God's oneness with us. Mystical, this unexplainable sense of God's oneness with us in our body, God's oneness with us in our emotions, God's oneness with us in our senses, God's oneness with us in uh, looking up to uh, see the moon at night, and so on. But these, these states of contemplative mystical sensitivities 
in the first three rungs of the ladder, we think of as the awareness of God's oneness with us. But here what the mystics are concerned about is first they assume the importance of that, that we, we do our homework in that and we work on that. But what they're concerned about is knowing that it's not just that we become transformed in surrendering ourselves over to God's oneness with us, but we realize our, our, our destiny or our deepest identity is found not simply in God's oneness with us, but the sense in which we're one with God in God. That is, when we die and pass through the veil of death, we'll pass beyond uh, these mediations or incarnations of God's infinite presence illumining our finite understanding, illumining our finite emotions, illumining our finite, and we'll, we'll cross over into an infinite union with the infinite union with God as our destiny. Okay. And so what we're really talking about now with infused contemplation, the, the mystical state, is the grace awareness that God's with us is not waiting until we're dead to begin granting us this awareness of our oneness with God in God. That is, God accesses us um, and grants us a taste or a sense of God's knowledge of God, or a deepening experience of God's knowledge of who we are in God, <coughs> hidden with Christ and God before the origins of the universe. And uh, it's this uh, mystical union of the masters that is at the heart of all these mystics that we're studying. For what they're doing is they're offering us guidance in how to discern this is starting to happen to us. Because we may think it comes from some lofty thing like a vision or a voice, or, and it is, it is lofty. But what they're trying to help us to see it's, 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 it's lofty in its disarming nearness. It's lofty in the surprising simplicity of it. And how do we calibrate our heart to a fine enough scale to begin to pick up the subtlety of this infused state of uh, union with God in the senses transcending the senses, in the emotions transcending the emotions, and so on, the, the subtlety of it. And uh, so each mystic, as you see, has his or her own uh, way of helping us to see this based on their own experience and the people that they saw in spiritual direction and are trying to offer this direction to us in their writings. And, um, and so Guigo is now offering his. And he's also offering it to us, as I pointed out in a previous time with Kirsten, is... Uh, he was living it as a hermit in, in solitude. That was his vocation. We're called to experience it out here in the world, you know, in, in, in the midst of the daily work, in the midst of our relationships, in the midst of our challenges. How do we, in the sincerity of our seeking, begin to pick up this taste, this oneness of the mystical, and how do we, in discerning it, learn to cooperate with it? So this is how, uh, this is Guigo's teaching then on this. He begins uh, to, to get at this. He, we have to back up a little bit and go back to prayer. So we're in the Lectio Divina, like we were exploring earlier, 
previous. And then there's the meditation and the prayer. And then the prayer, we might say, is the sincerity, it's devotional sincerity with God. That is, in this prayer, uh, Thomas Merton says, our prayer begins by simply accepting that we belong to God. And in belonging to God, we sincerely seek to become more consciously aware of how deeply we belong to God. And we pray from our heart for this deepening realization of this union of God's oneness with us. Then in prayer, Guido writes, this is section six. I seek by reading and meditating what is, is, is true purity of heart and how it may be had so that with its help I may know you, if only a little, Lord. For long have I meditated in my heart, seeking to see your face. It is the sight of you, Lord, that I have sought. And all the while in my meditation, the fire of longing, the desire to know you more fully has increased. And so here he chooses as his passage for his letter. The passage, uh, not uh, fear not for I'm with you always, and whatever the passage we may choose. But his passage are the words of Jesus and the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And so he takes that in as his lexio, reflects upon it. And so his prayer is, Lord, uh, heal me from all that hinders me from having a pure heart. For as you promise me, if my heart is pure, I'll see you. That is, if my heart is pure, I'll be free of what hinders me from realizing your infinite oneness with me in all things. And I, I long for this purity of heart. I long to be so transformed by you into this purity in which this deep oneness between us, unexplainable, eternal, boundless, might be realized. And uh, it's in the longing. So what Guigo gets at here then is a, a certain kind of quiet longing um, for this union. And here I want to give an example to see if this doesn't help to bring this home to, to, where we get echoes of this in our daily life. Is it not true that in any transformational process, say in married love, being a mother or a father, being an artist or a poet or a musician, or being drawn to surrender ourselves over to the beauty in art or to the, the, to the cadence of the ineffable in poetry or in music, to be moved by music, or in a deep commitment to aloneness, to solitude, to be a solitary wanderer, or to be one with the earth. Is it not true that in our fidelity to these transformational things, the deeper we go, the more we start to approach a certain realm of depth? There's a certain realm of a certain kind of subtle graciousness that we, 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 we kind of intuit, we viscerally sense that it's boundlessly vast. And that it, there were, and it's calling us to itself, where it's, we're being lured to surrender more deeply and to be ever more one with it. And there's that sincere longing to pass beyond our present level of oneness 
into a yet deeper level of oneness. Uh, and so it's our unconsummated longings for uh, ever deeper oneness with the mystery as boundless as, as accessing us in the child and the spouse and the solitude and the art and the poetry and the alone in service to the community is something that won't let us live on our own terms. And we seek to go deeper. And he's talking about how how the, the echoes of that, that, that this union he speaks of can happen in all those modes for us. But he's also saying it takes place in our daily rendezvous with God, not how that's happening in our marriage or lack thereof or in our health or lack thereof or, or in, our, in our art or lack thereof or poetry or lack thereof, but how's it happening in the sincerity of our rendezvous with God, sitting like an unlearned child like, here I am, Lord, and in that sincerity, there begins to open up in us this longing that's so subtle. It's very, so, so it isn't lofty as in visions or interlocution. Those things can happen. It's not that those don't happen. But really, the essence of the matter is it's lofty in the depth of the nearness of it. Uh, it's innermost. And we have to kind of maintain an inner attentiveness to this and stay long enough to begin to let it have its way with us. This is what he's talking about. See? And, and I think that's a gift for that. So we would find the place in our life where it's the most present, where it shimmers and shines here and there, and see if there isn't a certain kind of, if it, when we're there in that space and fidelity to it isn't a way of praying, risen away, and then also then when we bring ourselves to prayer, how it's kind of continuous with that. So how are we then, as we see this presence of God uh, shining out uh, intimations here and there, here, it's our life. So then when our daily rendezvous with God and sitting in the silent attentiveness, we see that those reverberations are reverberating in this very stillness where we sit uh, empty-handed in the presence of God created me. I desire this pure heart, Lord, created me this heart. For in the heart, the deep oneness that is deeper, ever deeper than my present level of oneness. I can just see it there or see you there calling me into this oneness. It's kind of like that. And, and this is why I think it's always so deeply personal. It's very, very personal. It's, it's, it's hard to talk about. And um, but that's why you can, these mystics are so important to us because you can feel in the cadence of their words that as we listen to the rhythm of the beauty of their words, our awakening heart knows of which they speak. And uh, I used to, feel this way when I was with Thomas Merton. I saw him as a, a kind of a lineage holder in this tradition, just just being with him. And what he was always teaching me to do in silence is listen to myself, to be present to myself, to be present. And so we're always like circling back around to this heartfelt sincerity and then staying there with this. So the effects of contemplation so then he says, well, how are we then, um, how are we then to uh, know that this deepening longing in prayer, this unconsummated longing uh, for this kind of sense 
of seeking this infinite union with the infinite mystery of God. How do we know that, that we're kind of, we're, we're like in the neighborhood? How do we know? Article 7. And again, we, this is language that he uses, which today by us sounds flowery or whatever. This is his way of speaking. <clears throat> so the soul, by such burning words, inflames its own desire, makes known its state, and by such spells it seeks to call its spouse. But the Lord, whose eyes are upon the just and whose ears hear and catch not dimly, not only the words, but the very meaning of their words, that is to say, as God's listening to us express these longings, God just doesn't simply hear what we're able to hear in the words that we're saying. But God hears within the depths of our words, the depths of longing that we ourselves aren't capable of hearing. Where God interiorly sees in the depths of our longing, depths of longing within us and beyond us that we're not yet capable of seeing, but God sees it. But God sees it. And this is what he's saying. And so he's saying here, it's at this point that the event occurs, the, the turning. <clears throat> and the turning, Guigo uh, expresses it this way. But the Lord whose eyes are upon the just and whose ears can catch not only the words but the very meaning of their prayers does not wait until the longing soul has said all it has to say, but breaks in upon, but breaks in upon the middle of its prayer, runs to meet it in all haste. In other words, God's listening to us like this. It's like a, you know, an ongoing uh, cry of longing goes in and out, the subtle longing in our prayer. It's for this purity of heart in which God's heart and our heart is realized to be one heart. We long for this. And God listens and listens and listens. But God knows that since our graced longings for this infinite union, we, we, we can never reach it because it's, fine. It's, it's, the, it's the graced, finite longings for the infinite. It's infinitely beyond what our finite longings are capable of reaching. See, that's the dilemma that God's quickened us with the desire that by our own finite efforts cannot be consummated like this. And God listens and listens and listens, and then mid-sentence, that is to say, I think what happens, we, we don't see it coming. There's a boundary crossing, and God acts. <clears throat> the contemplation, this is mystical contemplation, or it's infused contemplation, because it's God coming to meet us, not mediated in our thoughts, not mediated in our beliefs, not mediated in our emotions. Now, all that's important, that's God in us, all that is and remains important. But rather now it comes to us unmediated. That is, God comes to us and accesses us and gives us a taste or a sharing in God's knowledge of God. Where God gives us a taste of God's knowledge of us and knowing who we are in God before the origins of the universe, hidden with Christ in God forever. See, since everything in God is God, it's a taste of the divinity of ourselves and our nothingness without God. 
that's it right there. In principle, like that's the poetic um, distilled purity of the of, of the event. Each mystic has their own words for this. See, for Teresa, for example, remember in the beginning of the fourth mansion, she says, you're, you're sitting there in prayer, and she says how she puts it, you realize that your heart's being enlarged to divine proportions, she says, uh, without effort, like it's, it's happening to you because it's an act of God as God coming to you in the sincerity of your simplicity. This, 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 this event, he says, well, how do we know this has happened? And here's what we're trying to get at. It isn't as, sometimes this can be very intense. I mean, ser seriously, it can come with, there can be visions and this, this hap these things happen to people. But he, but he's saying it's usually not like that. It's so, it's really recalibrating our heart to discern something very subtle that's happening to us. And he goes down a litany of observations about what we can discern and, and look for. First, <clears throat> is that he restores the weary soul. And again, I think what makes Guigo so challenging is he doesn't elaborate on anything. That is, he, he, this is what makes some of the other mystics more accessible. They, they kind of flesh it in with examples and so on. And uh, he just says it in a few words. And so God, we know, restores the weary soul. And so here, for me, what this is, and you could see maybe your sense of what this is, too, is that we're wearied by the seemingly endless longing that seems so endlessly unconsummated. Like, how could I even, how could the likes of me even dare to long for such a thing that I don't even understand? And I'm, I'm wearied by the effort in which I keenly sense are not capable of bringing about what my efforts are seeking. But all of a sudden, the, your wearied soul finds rest, and then in some unexplainable way, it's like quietly resting in God, resting in you unexplainably. It's a kind of a homecoming that it kind of surprises you in a way. And uh, you're sitting there in the out here in in reflective consciousness. Nothing is happening. You know, you're just uh, sitting there in your room with a candle burning or out walking, whatever, whatever you're doing. But all of a sudden, a spacious kind of uh, arrival and a homecoming and the end of effort, <clears throat> because you discern that nothing is missing. <clears throat> See, I, I think that's the that's the thing. He the second. He slakes its thirst. And here he's using the longing as thirst. More than the death in the Psalms, more than the deer longs for running streams, oh God, do I long for you. And so this longing is depicted as a kind of a thirst. Notice how bodily thirst is. It's a kind of a physiological love longing in your body. And your thirst is quenched. And really, don't forget, we'll see this later when we look at Julianne of Norwich. This thirst, Jesus on the cross, I thirst, see? That your thirst is an incarnate echo of God's infinite thirst for you. And so it's a consummation of the thirst, like we, we and God drink deeply of each other. 
in a way that uh, is the end of thirst. And I, I missed the very first one back. He says he anoints it with the most precious perfumes. It was the first thing on his little litany that helps us to get what we're talking about. And if you imagine here smelling a blood red rose, like, the, and you give your scent to such a primordial sense, the, the smell of scent, like the, uh, the odor of sanctity. And, um, and so there's an aromatic kind of, um, it's, it's like, the, the, it's so sensual in an infinitely delicate way, as in the scent of something. You know, when I was very little, I stayed with my grandmother. My father was in the army at the time of World War II, and I would stay with her, and, and she was widowed, and I loved staying with her. And uh, I would go do with her down in her basement. She had an old ringer washing machine. And um, she would hang up rags to dry near this coal furnace, and those drying rags, there was a certain smell about her furnace with those drying rags in the furnace in the basement. And when I was in the monastery, partly out, I did janitorial work in the guest house. And up on the top floor, there were heat pipes that would come up through a closet where we used to store mops and so on. And when I would open the door, those mops were drying out in the, from the heat coming up from those, up to the furnace down in the basement up through. It was like my grandmother's basement. And I can remember sometimes on purpose, I would walk by and just open the door to smell that. And so that's that primordial scent. It's like we're dropping down into this realm of sense. We're dropping down into this realm of, um, of the end of weariness, like, an un, like a resting. Um, we're dropping down into the end of thirst, like there's, there's this, satisfied and he feeds the hunger and here this has connotations of the eucharist it has connotations of uh this long this hunger for god this deep deep hunger for god which is an echo of god's hunger for us and the hunger ceases and he makes the soul forget all earthly things and how so it's not it is so subtle. It's it's not that the earthly things, especially for us out here, say that in, for, for, for in our marriage or in with our children or uh, in our daily work or our friends and our ministry, whatever. It isn't as if we're dismissive of all that, you know, like the outcome of effort in fluctuating circumstances. You know, we're right in the midst of it. That's where we're to live our life. But, but all of that, however satisfying it may be to reach our goal, however satisfying and good it is to have these lovely moments of groundedness in life experience, all that compared, compared to this ever so subtle touch, it compared to that is so unexplainably, it's in the background, this is something in overflowing plenitude, it's in barely discernible richness is that's a subtle thing. And I also think, and this is true of all these mystics, that when we are able to see the nothingness of all those things, the passing pleasures and pains of life, and see their nothingness compared to this, we're able to see God shining out from those very things. That the very simplicity of things realize how they're nothing without God. We see God shining out from them in their nothingness, 
whether it's drinking a hot cup of tea or looking out the window or uh, reading a child a good night story or reading a poem is the the uncomprehensible statures of the simplicity of things and he makes the soul forget all earthly things and he makes it die to itself you know sometimes in deep love, in deep love, some people, you can love somebody so deeply that, it, that it's like dying of love. That is, you die of love and that you die to yourself as being in any way capable of being fulfilled unless it's in the oneness with the beloved. In Martin Buber's language, in the presence of the thou. He says the thou is the one who fills the entire horizon of your being. And in the presence of the thou, you die to yourself as being enough in any way apart from the thou, see, to which you surrender and give yourself in the communion with the thou. And likewise, when then the real grace is when the, th the one in whom you experience as thou returns the favor by letting you know that you're the thou that they see. And in the mutual of that, you see the kind of the mystical dimensions of it, of intimacy, like that. But this can also happen with a classroom of students. It can also happen with the people we work with, committed to a common cause. It can also happen to being alone and a deep commitment to the depths of our solitude. It can also happen the thou dimension of the concreteness can shine forth like this. And he, and he gives it new life in a wonderful way by making it drunk. And really this is mystical sobriety, that, that really we're kind of inebriated by this unexplainable and unexpected nearness of this overwhelming divinity, like in the innermost depths, too deep to see, too deep to feel. It doesn't mean it doesn't spill over into feelings, but you realize it's the washing over of what lies beyond feeling. It isn't, it isn't that insights don't arise from it. The insights are his book. This is what the, this is the scriptures. It flows over into words that bear witness to it. Yes, in the words, I love you, do people say to each other, it spills over into the word. But you see that it's the overflow from a source that lies ever within, ever innermost. And you kind of, it, it grounds you unexplainably in it. See? And um, and so he he's, he says then uh, he wants to help us, but how further can we? And this is now in Article Eight, and I'll end with this. But how are we to know then? You see, but this is occurring in an ongoing way. There's right now he's looked at like there's a moment, like the the boundary crossing, like the event. And then the moment passes. It, it is memory lingers on within us. We get back to, to our life. But then when we compare the way we were in the grace moment of unexplainable communion to the way we are, me, in the awareness of it mediated through insights, through thought, and sometimes when we lose it all together, because you know what life is like, we get caught up in, in the, the matters at hand, and we should. And then there's a certain um, desire, then, uh, to abide in the depths of fleetingly glimpsed. 
and and it's the desire to abide. Then he says, "Is how how this is, begins to emerge as a path." But Lord, how are we to know when you do this? What will be the sign of your coming? Like, how do we know this is real? Can it be that the heralds and witnesses of this consolation are the joy are and joys are sighs and tears? If it is so, then. The word consolation is being used in a completely new sense, the reverse of its ordinary connotation. When what has cons- what ha- what has consolation in common with sighs, joys with tears, if indeed they are to be called tears, but rather an abundance of spiritual dew pouring out from above and overflowing, an outward purification of a sign of inward cleansing. And so Jesus says, "Blessed are those who weep." See, for they shall rejoice. When you weep, so, O my soul, recognize your spouse, embrace him whom you long f- for, make yourself drunk with the torrents of delight. See, this, this rewarding comfort in the sobbing. So, I'd like to end on this subtle note. See, it's true that we don't go around in the fullness of the awakening event. And it's also true that having tasted the oneness, we see out here how we all get caught up in things, life. And in the longing to abide in the oneness, because it tugs at our heart. There's a kind, sometimes the tears might be physical tears, but it's an inner weeping, like a sighing or an inner longing. And we, and we learn not to drown it out by addictive escapes. That's what often happens. You turn on the TV or, you know, eat another brownie or have a beer, some damn thing. So we learn not to drown it out. But in the midst of the day, there is within us this weeping or this tear. And then when we sit in prayer, the the weeping, quote, quote, deepens like this, oh, like this. And then we begin to realize something, that God is the infinity of your tears, that God's presence within you is being given to you as your perceived absence of God's presence. And therefore, you find it consoling that you are so unconsoled. It's like, you know, when, my, when Maureen died, I, like, so uh, unconsolable, like, unconsolable. But then I thought to myself, it dawned on me as I kept growing into all of this. I find it so consoling that I'm unconsolable. See, I'm, there's, there's a sadness, but I would find it sadder if I weren't sad. What if I would say, well, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm, I'm moving on. But what if I can't move on? So what if the sadness has a certain delicate sense of her deathless presence in my life as the sadness and the delicate presence in her life is the deathless presence of God in me. And I, I, so I, I'm going to end here then um, on this note. So I, I hope you can see then that the Guigo helps us to see that in order, we have to t- take all of this and bring it to our Lexio. That is, we, let our, we need to let ourselves kind of sit and be accessed by the, by the music or by the delicacy 
and let it let it sink in and know the very fact we recognize that it's beautiful is already giving witness that we ourselves already in the midst of what Guigo is speaking of like that see and so here we are there's the that's the grace of it and uh, so then let's uh, end with a sit with a sitting I invite you to sit straight and fold your hands and bow. Repeating after me, be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be.
slowly say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Mary, Mother of Contemplatives, pray for us. Guigo II, pray for us. Saint Therese, the Little Flower, pray for us. Blessing till next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Center for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.